Amen. Hey, we are once again our study world religions, cults, and the occult, and we're on the seventh topic. That right is uh, Roman Catholicism. For those of you who are hooked on reading, and so far by way of recap, we've already seen the facts uh, show us that. Prior to, uh, uh, despite what the media says, once again, uh, hopefully now you're starting to get uh, what I started off with, uh, it really just irks me, and it's not because I'm a Protestant and I'm just anti-Catholic. No, no, no. But when you take a look at how anti-Christian this belief system really is, when the, you get up there on the news and they say, and now for the Christian perspective, and who do they show? A Catholic priest. Folks, I'm telling you that it's just... It, it's, just, it's extremely unfortunate because it's not Christianity at all. We've already seen that Roman Catholicism is a pseudo-Christian group. It's fake, it's false, it's not Christianity. Number two, as we're going to see even more so tonight, it is a cold, both secular and biblical definitions. Number three, it is demonic because when you disagree and you don't go along with what they do, what do they do? Murder. That's John chapter 8, same thing they did uh, to Jesus. And the Inquisitions, not only in history, it's still in effect today. Where's that all going to? It's leading to Revelation 17, the woman that rides the beast. She's going to be working with the Antichrist system, this one world global harlot, a religious system. You don't want to have anything to do with that. And then last time we started off on the signs of a cult. What are the five classic signs that you know that a belief system is not just wrong, they are a cult? Now, last time we only got as far as the authority issue. We got one more to deal with specifically the popes, okay? But then they're also going to see they veer off also on the nature of God, also the Trinity, the personal work of Jesus Christ, the nature of man, and of course, the big one, you don't ever want to get wrong. You don't want to get the other ones wrong either, but the means of salvation. You can get all kinds of things wrong. You can unfortunately do what I actually hear people still do, and they eat a Kentucky Fried Chicken at their own demise. Uh, but hey, you can get that. But whatever you do, don't get it wrong how you get to heaven, okay? And unfortunately, Roman Catholicism leads people to hell. They do, and we're going to take a look at that even more detail tonight. Now, the authority issue you've already seen, where do they get it wrong? Well, they get it wrong because they say, and this is what the cults say, oh, I believe in the Bible, or I believe in Jesus, but what do you got to do? Go behind the veneer and say, well, what, what is your so-called Bible, or tell me who your Jesus is? And that's the problem we see even with Roman Catholicism. They all, oh, they believe in Jesus. Well, Jesus what? Jesus, who is he? What, who, who is he to you? Is, is he the, you know, but also their Bible. Their Bible isn't even the same thing as ours. That's a big one people need to get. The Catholic Bible is not the same thing as ours, what we saw last time. And this is, again, this is their authority issue. Where do they derive all these false beliefs from? Where's their authority coming from? Their Bible, number one, but their Bible contains the Apocrypha. Okay, and the Apocrypha means the secret or hidden things. And the only secret about that is that's where a lot of false teaching comes from. That's why it was rejected, the Apocrypha, uh, in the Protestant Bible. But not only that, that was bad enough it is, but they also have authority. They say the truth, listen, and what, what's the issue of authority? They're saying this is what we believe derives all source of truth. Your belief system, your faith, your practices, we would say sola scriptura, scripture, the Bible alone, right? Well, again, they say the Bible, but it's their Bible, which isn't the same as our Bible. So that's mistake number one. Number two, they get their authority from the decrees of the councils, 21 different councils. Well, hey, meetings are cool, but it's not absolute like the Bible. Uh, it goes even more, it's the writings of the popes. We're going to get into that tonight. That's just a man, a man, right? Some guy is, is on par with the scripture, by himself, out, nah, this, uh, the code of canon law, 1,752 laws that they came up with, is on par, they believe, with the scripture. Also, the church liturgy, stand up, sit down, do this, go that, penance this, do that, try that, hail Mary this, uh, our, 
all that stuff. Uh, the catechism. And again, as we began last week, say, hey, listen, this is really what they teach. We're taking it straight from their own catechism. Remember what catechism means? That means basically this is their official workbook, if you will, uh, defining their belief system from them. And of course, their big theologian, a guy named Thomas Aquinas, okay, with that. And also we saw, we added to that last time, was their big thing was tradition, right? Tradition. Well, that's the way they've always done it, so therefore it's got to be, no, no, no. And so how many different ways outside the scripture was that? For those of you hooked on counting, I don't know, I didn't count myself, but probably what, six, seven, eight, what, <laughs> excuse me, okay? We believe the Bible, period. They say the Bible, but the Bible's not even the same thing, and then they say, but also here and here and here and here and here, and you wonder why there's so many false teachings. Anytime you get outside this scripture, you're in a heap of trouble. Eventually, it's going to start to crumble, and that's what they base it on. Now, we're going to take a look at the page at the top. It says, rejection of the Pope as authoritative. Okay, now we're going to take a look at not just tradition, but also the Pope. They really believe that this guy called the Pope, and these succeeding generations, they come up with another one, that when he speaks, it's just as good as the Bible. Okay. Uh, but let's take a look at that. Is that really true? Concerning the Pope, the Catholic Church believes that its hierarchy, culminating with the Bishop of Rome, that's who the Pope is at the time, okay, derives its authority, uh, his authority, from three beliefs. So here's what they say. We say, are you kidding me? The Pope is on the same part? When he speaks, it's like the Bible. What? Where do you get this from? Three things. Here's what they say. Number one, they say that Christ made Peter the head of the apostles and the universal church. The word Catholic, why is it Catholic Church? Why is it Roman Catholic Church? Well, it started with Constantine shortly after that. Number one, Roman Empire. Okay, but Catholic means universal, right? So Roman Catholic or Roman Universal Church. And they're still trying to do that today with the universal uh, religion. But that's what it means. They mean, number one, why does the Pope supposedly have all this authority just like the Bible? Because they said Christ made Peter the head of the apostles of the universal church. Number two, they say the apostles appointed bishops as their successors. Excuse me? And number three, they say, well, yeah, the Pope is Peter's successor. Now, the problem is this. Each of these beliefs are in error. Not A-I-R. <sighs> that thing. It's error. That almost sounded like a pirate, Read That one's kicking in, too. E-R-R-O-R. -R -R. Okay, it's an error, right? Now, let's take a look at that. Now, again, later, we're probably going to get into this much more detail. But tonight, I'm trying to finish this section. And then we'll start smacking down the list, if you will, all the different false teachings, all right? Now, let's examine this belief system, why they say the Pope is as good as the Bible, basically what he says and rules. Number one, Peter, hello, was not the head of the apostles and the universal church. So lie number one. And here's the verse that they twist. It's uh, Matthew 16. Okay, Matthew 16. Now, let's examine it. Here's the key word here, folks. Context, right? Because you take something out, and you say, oh, that's it. See, right there? Jesus was making Peter the first pope. Mm, I don't think so. So you miss it on several different levels. Let's take a look at that. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do you say that the son of the man is? So right in the context, what's this paragraph about? Who's Jesus, right? Not Peter, not popes, not the Roman Catholic Church, none of that stuff. The whole context from the get-go is about Jesus. Who's Jesus, right? Number one. And they said, well, some say... Say what? Who's Jesus? Remember the context. Uh, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he, Jesus, said to them, but who do you say I am? So again, now we're in the middle. It's still what? It's Jesus. Who is Jesus is the context, right? Well, Simon Peter said, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So what's he saying? He's filling in the blank to the question in the context, who Jesus is. Still about Jesus, right? 
And so Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Okay, a little quiz there, Bar-Jonah. Bar means son of, son of Jonah. Barnabas, Barnabas, son of Nabas. And so when somebody says, hey, Jesus' last name was Christ. No, that's the title, uh, Christos, uh, Mashiach in the Hebrew, Messiah is what it means, or anointed one. Jesus' last name, if you will, would be what? Bar-Joseph. Okay, Yeshua Bar-Joseph. So if you ever get that on Jeopardy, take me out to lunch. Let's move on. Uh, Bar-Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, okay, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or the grave, will not overpower it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, you shall be, have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Now, I've got to stop here. We've talked about this in other studies. This is one outside the Roman Catholic Church, and abusing this text, saying this is where the, the papacy came from, okay, following right here what it says, binding and loosing, this is abused too. How many times do you hear people say, hey, Satan and demons are coming. I bind you and loose you. And they use it. That's not even what the text is about. The text is talking about church authority, right? That when the church is in accordance to the word of God, the words of Jesus Christ, they carry God's authority. So that when the church gives ruling on something like, hey, it's, it's a discipline issue. The church says, according to God's word, you are disciplined, right? And then guess what? That's the way it is. God gives us that authority. Have we ever had to discipline as a church? Where do we get that from? Ourselves? No, from the authority of God's word. That's all he's talking about. In fact, the binding, loosening there in the Greek, binding, loosening, it means forbidding and permitting. That's all those words mean, right? Plus, if you want to still think, first of all, where's the word demon mentioned in here? How about spiritual warfare? How about any of that stuff? None of that's in here. This is a church discipline issue, a church authority issue, okay? Also, what's interesting is uh, I've always thought this is kind of weird. Well, first of all, if, even if you wanted to say that that was how you get rid of demonic issues, why would you bind them and then turn around, let them go? Hello? Keep them bound. Whatever, let's move on. But that's not what I'm saying. He, then he warned the disciples that they should uh, tell no one that he was what? The Christ. So right there at the very end, he wraps it up. What's the issue? Tell nobody about what? Jesus. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Peter just happened to get the right answer, but it really didn't even come from him. Who gave it to him? God. What's the whole context about? Jesus, who Jesus is. Now let's analyze it, right? Does this have anything to do with the, the papacy? The Roman Catholic Church claims that this passage shows that Peter is the rock upon uh, Christ will build his church. However, number one, the Greek doesn't even support that. I mean, we just saw the context certainly doesn't. But the Greek really doesn't support this interpretation. Listen, Peter is in the masculine noun, petros, meaning boulder, whereas rock is what? It's feminine. If it meant to be the same thing, it would be the same. Masculine, masculine. But it cannot be the same. It's impossible in the Greek to mean that Peter is linked with the other thing. Because there's two different... Uh, 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 here, one's masculine, one's feminine. And, and the noun Petra, meaning massive rock. So the verse is equivalent saying, you are Peter. Okay, hey, Peter. Right? But here's the separate issue. The mass of rock. I will build my church. So the question is, what's the mass of rock? What's the bedrock upon which Christ will build his church? Uh, Jesus and who he is, right? It has nothing to do with Peter. And he certainly isn't. And, and now there's popes from now on. And now whatever they say is good as the Bible. Where do you get this from? Talk about twisting 
of the Scripture. The context in this passage is about Christ and who he is, the Christ, the Son of the living God. The foundation of the church is Christ is your blank, not Peter, right? It's Jesus. He's the foundation of the church. In fact, that's what 1 Corinthians 3.11 says. For no man can lay a foundation other than one which is already laid, and that is Peter, and from then on, a whole bunch of popes. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation, right? That must be the Chippocrypha or whatever, that, the false book or whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's Jesus Christ. Hello. Okay. Also, this is an interesting tidbit. While it is true that Peter is usually listed first in the list of the apostles, that doesn't mean that he was the head of the apostles, and it certainly doesn't mean, okay, I guess now we've got to do a bunch of popes, and whatever they say is as good as the Bible. <laughs> what? Just because you're the front of the list, what's, where, where do you get? We just had what? The chili cook-off contest, right? Potluck, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems like every single time, right, uh, Bobby's always in the front of the line. Every single time. So it's obvious that Bobby is the pastor, and from then on, we can only hire pastors that come from the lineage of Bobby. I mean, that's a logical conclusion. Don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. It's crazy. What? So what? You're at the top of the list. What's that got to do with anything and then authority, and then you pass along with each generation? Yeah, it's crazy. So it's a complete uh, ripoff of the context there. Number two, the apostles, they didn't even appoint bishops as their successors. That's another lie. Let's take a look at this. Uh, scripture used, they try to say, well, yeah, it's right in the Bible. To justify that is 2 Timothy 2.2, that all that passage talks about is discipling men to disciple other men. In fact, turn to that. 2 Timothy chapter 2, okay. And believe it or not, this is why we have an internship program, right? If you apply it correctly, then you do what we're doing here. Right? And you find other men who are capable of entrusting God's truth. And what do you do? You train them. So guess what? They can go out there and do that. Has nothing to do with bishops. Has nothing to do, certainly, with, okay, I guess we're going to do a bunch of popes and whatever they say agrees with, you know, is, is on par with the Bible. I don't think so. But let's take a look at there. 2 Timothy. And uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, right? And. Uh, Here's what he says. All right, you then, start with verse one. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you've heard me say, right? Paul's investing his life into who? Timothy, also Titus. That's why these three books, First and Second Timothy and Titus, are called the pastorals. Paul is, in these young men who are becoming pastors, Paul is investing in them so they can what? Pastor, and then they in turn what? They entrust into other young men in the congregation, so what? So they could replicate and maybe possibly, like even we're doing here, at sunrise, become pastors themselves and replicate God's truth. So that's what he says. You heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Well, there you have it. That's why we got popes. <laughs> what? It's funny, isn't it, when you examine it? You actually use that verse to justify and say, yep, they all came from here, right here too, right now. Because every, yeah, this is biblical proof, right? What are you talking about? All he's talking about is discipling other men to share the, the gospel, to be pastors. And just, what? Crazy, okay? So that's, that's another ripoff, all right? And their examples, uh, uh, Paul, of course, uh, Timothy and Ephesus, Titus and Crete. How, scripture nowhere calls these men out also. Not only, that's not what the context is dealing with. But Scripture nowhere calls these men out as bishops. Paul simply calls them partner and fellow worker. So you put that into the text. It certainly is not there. Number three, the Pope is not Peter's successor. There's no evidence of that, whatever. You know the, what they rely on? This word right here that they put on par with the scripture, unfortunately, is called tradition. That might be your tradition, but it doesn't make it true. Okay, listen to this. There is, underlying the next three words, 
no scriptural evidence. There is no scriptural evidence to support this claim by the Catholic Church. The Pope, uh, the office of that, and certainly supposed lineage coming from Peter is completely out of context. It might be your tradition, but it's not biblical. Okay, and they certainly don't have the same authority as the Scripture. They're a man just like everybody else. Okay, except for the wool mans out there. Let's move on. Uh, clearly, we must join with the Reformers and declare that Scripture alone. What alone? Scripture alone. The Bible is the authority for the believer. Okay? The Scriptures are authoritative and constitute the believer's only source of faith and practice. Only Scripture is perfectly adequate for all matters of faith and conduct for salvation and... That, that's the blank and. It's a conjunction. Makes you sing that song, doesn't it? Conjunction, junction. I don't know what you're singing, Bobby, but you messed me up. Uh, it's, uh, anyway, salvation and is your blank sanctification. Uh, it is all sufficient in regards to the soul of man in our relationship with God and our, our relationship with other people. So in other words, basically, that's what our uh, reformers, our, if you will, forefathers, if you will, of the faith, uh, relied on. That's why they were killed. That's why they were murdered. That's why they were drowned. That's why they were burned alive. That's why even after they were dead, the Catholic Church was so mad at them that they dug up their bones and burned their bones in ashes and chucked them in the river. Who you got me now? Right? Okay. But why? Because we said, no, it's only the Bible. The Pope will not be our authority. Uh, your church councils will not be authority. No, we're not going along with this apocrypha thing. I don't care about your 1,752 laws or your church liturgy or your catechism. I don't care about some theologian uh, back in the uh, 13th century, the Bible. And they were murdered like flies. And if you think they're changed on that, folks, they haven't. Okay? But that's where they get their authority. That's why it's all messed up. We say the Bible. They say, oh, yeah, the Bible, but their Bible isn't like ours. And a whole bunch of other things, right? Now, let's continue on. Uh, the next thing. Now, the nature of God, including the Trinity, right? What we're dealing with, signs of a cult. Number one is their authority. If they say anything else other than the Bible, cult, okay? And that's what we certainly saw. Number two, the nature of God. Now, here's where it gets a little deceptive, right? The Roman Catholic Church agrees with the historical biblical Christianity on the nature of God and the doctrine of the Trinity. Well, I guess it's, you know, it's all true. So, because they believe, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they'll even say that. Well, you might have that aspect correct, but that doesn't mean the rest of it is. We just saw that the authority is all messed up. There's a little bit of, little bit of similarity in the next one we're going to see in a second, but you still get the, the uh, over here, but you're going to get these way wrong too, right? So if there's any assimilation, you got to agree completely, not partly, right? And again, it's, it's no different than Mormons. Oh, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but your Jesus is different. Oh, we believe that there's uh, one, uh, uh, well, Mormons don't believe in one God. They believe they can become God, multiple gods, right? But things of that nature. But again, it, it's not just, well, they got most of it. So, no, it's, it's got to be the same. God doesn't speak with forked tongue. He doesn't have multiple gospels. He doesn't have multiple sources of truth. There's one, right? But, okay, so now the third one, the person, the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, this is where I'll veer off just a hair uh, from the workbook here. It says there, the Roman Catholic Church agrees, is your next blank there, agrees with historical biblical Christianity on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Under, underline the work there. Now, you might get the person right, sort of, with him being the second person of the Trinity, his deity and humanity, virgin birth, as we're going to see. Uh, it says that, and he lived a sinless life, died on a Roman cross, he was buried, resurrected from the dead, he returned to heaven, he sees the right hand of the Father. You might get those aspects right, but the work, I don't think you agree on the work. So I disagree a little bit on the workbook here. Why? 
Because the work of Jesus Christ was his death on the cross. They do not believe in the sufficiency of the cross of Christ. We'll get to that in just a second. So you might get the person right, but you don't get the work right. So underline that, asterisk, put some fireworks around it, draw attention to it. Okay. Uh, the nature of man, you do get this one wrong. Right? Let's take a look at that. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that human beings are created in God's image. Every person is a unique, precious being of dignity and worth. Oh, self-esteem. Problem with that? You ain't reading the Bible. Romans chapter 3, turn there real quick, because you've got to see this with your own eyes. Right? Uh, this is awesome. You know, again, we, we dealt with this a couple of weeks ago in our, the holiness study on Sundays, uh, the holiness of God. And, uh, but this is one of those passages where Romans chapter 3, where you know, you're feeling good and high and mighty, feeling awesome about yourself. Well, let's just set you in place, shall we? Right? And uh, Romans, and uh, let's take a look at what Paul says here. Romans chapter 3, and he's talking about uh, no one's righteous, not even one, etc. But then he gets down to verse 12. Now, I specifically bring that out because what do you specifically say? Uh, we are beings of dignity. What's the word there? And worth. Really? What's the Bible say? Uh, all have turned, verse 12, chapter 3, Romans, all have turned away. All, how many? All have turned away. They have together become worthless. Turn to somebody and say, you're, you're worthless. Right? Well, you used to be before you got saved. Right? But in Christ, see, our value comes in Christ. Not in the self-esteem, self-love, self-respect, self-self-self-inflated statements of self-love. What makes us so valuable and precious is the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been adopted into God's forever family. It's Jesus Christ who makes us worthy and special. See what I'm saying? I really think it's, it's not only false teaching, this self-love, self-self-self thing, okay? And, uh, but I think people are getting ripped off. And I really think it's, it's adding to uh, the conundrum that people experience. Because they, they say the panacea, oh, why are you so depressed? And why, why are you so down? Why are you so blue? You just need to puff yourself up. You need to love yourself more. You need, excuse me, that's pouring gas on the flame. Why do we sin? Because at that moment in time, who are we choosing first above God? Self, right? So you're making things worse, right? It, but, but then when you realize, listen, listen, it's, it's not in me. It's not me. That's self. Because, again, you're going to run into a conundrum. You're sitting there and you look in the mirror. Oh, I just love you. You're so incredible. So love, 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 love. But you're going to blow it. You're going to sin. How do you feel when you sin? Right? And so, so, oh, I know what I need. I just need to put on more self-love and I'll feel great. No, because there are sometimes, folks, we do things that are very wretched, myself included. But do you know why you go to sleep at night? Uh, because... You feel great about your self-esteem because the blood of Jesus Christ forgives me of all sin. The whole world could be against me. I can make a billion mistakes, unlike Catholicism teaches. I'm completely washed clean, and he loves me. Through Jesus, I have peace with God. I'm going to heaven. Isn't that way better than just looking in the mirror going, even after you did something you know was rotten, I just love you. That's why I say people are getting ripped off. And it's a false teaching. The real value is in Christ, right? And uh, when you get in, in, anyway, so that's just a little side detour. Anyway, hey, but by they say their free will, supposedly human beings have chosen to uh, sin against God, rejecting his nature and pursuing a course of life that is opposed to his essential character and revealed law. Now, however, the problem is Roman Catholic Church distinguishes between two types of sin, mortal and venial. V-E-N-I-A-L is your blank there. Okay, is your blank there. And we, we dealt with this the first study, but let's take a look at it again. 
This is where they get the nature of man wrong. And what do you do with sin when man blows it? Here's the two categories. Again, mortal sin, Roman Catholic Church teaches, destroys the sanctifying grace of God within the individual and necessitates the forgiveness through what? Through Jesus, his work on the cross, that alone? No, what's it say? A sacrament, that's a work that they prescribe, right, of reconciliation. And again, that comes from their own catechism. There's the page number, right? Which reconciles one with God, again, that's in their catechism, and obtains forgiveness of sins committed after baptism. Now, what we're going to see, basically what they teach is this is why it's so important to hurry up and get your kid baptized, sprinkled in the Catholic Church, because they believe that that's how you get kick-started, right? When you get baptized by the Catholic Church, you get kick-started into grace. Now, the rest of it's up to you. And if you start committing some of these sins, right, the more, especially the mortals, man, you're in a heap of trouble. And you're going to have to work, and you're going to have to do these things that we prescribe to you, or you're really in a heap of trouble. You're still going to probably end up in purgatory, have to burn and purge off your sins anyway. This is really what they teach. It is not at all Christianity, not even close, right? It causes, they say, exclusion from where? Heaven. And results in eternal death and hell. Again, there's the source. Catholics classify sin as mortal when it meets the following conditions. Again, who made you the arbitrator of being able to categorize sin? What's God say about sin? All sin is sin. All has sinned and falls short. Of the, what's the wages of sin, period? Any sin. Death. We deserve to die and go to hell. And now you're going to put them in categories and subcategories, and then you are going to be the one to hand out this works-based prescription program? That's what they're doing. They're not trusting in the cross of Christ. Let's take a look at what he says. There. They classify sin as a mortal sin when it meets the following conditions. The sin is a serious or grave one, like murder, adultery, stealing, bearing false witness. Now, what is bearing false witness? How many guys lied? Raise your hand. Now, other than Bobby, who just lied, uh, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just lied. So according to the Catholic Church, you just committed a mortal sin. You're going to hell. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that encouraging? Well, we better find out what their prescription is and get busy doing it. That's their works. This is really what they believe, folks. We're just getting started in this. Okay? Now, and it's, it's committed with full knowledge or complete consent. Again, there's the catechism, pages 18, 57 through 59. Now, the other category they call is the venial sin, right? And again, does God play games with sin? This one's a big one. That one's a, no. But, but listen to what they do with this one. This one is not serious or grave. Excuse me? What's the Bible say about sin? All sin is serious and an offense to a holy God. But they, they say, oh no, this is not, not as bad, right? And, and, and does not involve full knowledge or complete consent. Unlike mortal sin, venial sin does not destroy the saving grace of God in the individual. Venial sin does not deprive the sinner of sanctifying grace, friendship with God, charity, and consequently uh, uh, eternal happiness. So apparently there's some sins you can get away with. Isn't that really what it's saying? And again... Catechism, page 1863. Check it out for yourself. You've got to be kidding me. Now, what's the biblical response? Uh, by man, man chose to sin against God and therefore under the condemnation of the physical and spiritual death, i.e. eternal separation from God. In other words, we desire, deserve to die and go straight to hell. The corruption of sin extends to every aspect of our being, including our intellect, our conscience, the heart. What's, what's uh, uh, the prophet say? The heart is what? Deceitfully wicked. Not just wicked, but deceitfully wicked. How are we even supposed to know how wicked it is? Only God knows, right? All people are therefore unable to enter into a personal relationship with God on their own initiative. We, in other words, Chrome translation, we're messed up, right? 
And as Jesus said, nobody can come to the Father unless the Father draws him, John chapter 6. Right? For the believer, the Bible does not distinguish between big sins and little sins. Right? The result of sin in the believer's life, though. Now listen, Now this is, this is after being saved. Now remember, what, what would they say? They say, after being saved, what's their version of being saved? It's not the same as ours. You've got to be baptized. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? What's the great example to disprove that lie? Thief on the cross. How much time did he have to be baptized? Right? Is, I, I know, that's what... When it was dark there for three hours, that's what he was doing. Jesus took him off, right, got him there. Excuse me? He didn't have any time to be baptized. How many good works did he do? Zero, right? He didn't have time for nothing. And yet, what did Jesus say? Today you will be with me, Jesus, in where? Paradise, right? Now, is baptism something good to do? Yeah, it's something that we do in remembrance. It's symbolic of salvation, which takes place by faith, in the cross of Jesus Christ. Just like communion, unfortunately, they missed that one too. They call it the Eucharist. They believe it's the actual body. No, we do this in remembrance. It's symbolic of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, right? But you're not saved by baptism. So what they say is you are started, you're saved by being baptized, which again, typically, if you can do it, they want you in there as a baby. Well, how can a baby make a choice about Christ? Baby doesn't know anything, right? All they usually do is what? Sit there and scream, and everyone's going, oh, so special. What are you kidding? The kid's screaming his head off. I would be too. We got this guy. I'd be freaking out personally, right? And so, but again, how's that child? No, he didn't know anything about Jesus. He didn't know about the cross. He didn't know anything about sin. How can he make a choice? And plus, baptism doesn't save you. If, and listen, I've said this before. If all it is is sprinkling water on people and going, then let's get out of here with the fire hose and everybody drives by. You know how many people we could save? And Bobby, I'll let you do that uh, part. I'll just hit man the hose. Right? You say, what? It's crazy. But that's how they believe that you get saved, you get baptized, and preferably as a kid. So that's like a double no-no. Kid don't even know what's going on. And then baptism doesn't even save you. But what they say is after you get saved, according to their version of salvation, then, boy, the rest is up to you. And if you commit a sin, even as they, and they, including lying, you're doomed. Now, is that what the Bible teaches? No. Now, the Bible does say that as Christians, we're going to blow it. How many guys ever blow it as a Christian? You actually lied again, some of you. I can't believe it. That's two lies in one night. No, no we're going to blow it as a Christian, right? Well, what does the Bible say? Oh, you're doomed. You're going straight to hell because you sinned after you got saved. Well, none of us would be there, right? No. So sin is serious, and it happens after we get saved, but you don't lose your salvation. That's complete in Christ. But there are effects, and that's what he talks about here. The Bible doesn't distinguish between big sins and little sins. However, the result of sin, if you do sin as a Christian, a true Christian, there is sometimes a loss of fellowship. Well, what's he talking about there? Have Christians ever done things that they refuse to repent of or acknowledge, and they are, if you will, kicked out of the church? We can get personal, couldn't we? In this church. Are there people who are not welcome here until they take the Christian road and do what the Scripture says and reconcile and own up to what they did? We're all about reconciliation. Come on back, man. We're the family of God. That would be such a great victory for Jesus. But until such time, the Scripture says, no, stay at bay until you come and reconcile and do it. It's a loss of fellowship. Now, it doesn't mean you're not saved, but you lose that on that fellowship. Scripture talks about that. Number two, church discipline. Again, have you ever had to do that? Have we had to do that? Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. So, so the, yeah, it doesn't mean that there aren't consequences, 
The difference with the Catholic Church says you're doomed straight to hell. And then your only way out is you got to do all these things we prescribe to you to try to get yourself, work yourself back. Okay? And not, not in fellowship, but trying to get quote, their version of salvation back. So discipline happens. Uh, the Lord's discipline, right? So sometimes people run from even church discipline, right? So you don't even get an opportunity to do the right thing. And they're not interested in coming back to fellowship. You know what God's going to do if they're truly born again? Spanky-wanky. What's Hebrews say? Hey, he disciplines those who, whom he loves, right? He, you're, you're not going to escape. Hey, do we escape, even myself, as Christians, if we blow it? What's God do? He loves us. What's he do? I'll spank you right back on track. So you, you could try to escape all the other stuff, but no, he's, he's still going to love you. Love you enough to chase you down. It's coming, right? So there's the Lord's discipline and sometimes physical death. What are you talking about? Well, hey, God says, you know, would you stop? I, uh, I ref- forbid you, Christian, from giving in to the sin of drunkenness. He's just trying to ruin he, our Super Bowl parties. Nothing now. <laughs> no, guess what? It, all of God's commands are for what? Are good. You go out and get drunk and you're driving around, what's a good chance? You could die. And or kill somebody. Or both could happen. So sometimes physical death does take place. God says, no, don't do that. <laughs> sometimes it'll take your life. Sin hurts, sin harms, sin destroys. Even after being saved, God takes it very serious, and the church should too. The Catholic Church, though, says, oh, no, you do it, and if you do this one big category, because we categorized them now for your convenience, apparently, you're doomed. Big difference, not at all like us. Now, the remedy for sin, if it occurs in the believer's life, it's not all the Catholic uh, mumbo-jumbo and works-based and penance and all this and say Hail Marys and all this and go up the steps with your knees, bare, bloody, and all that stuff, proving how sorry you are. No, it's repentance is your blank there and confession to who? Not a priest, to God, right? All right, now the means of salvation. So they got that wrong, big time wrong. Means of salvation, they got that wrong too. Again, what are we dealing with? Signs of a cult, all right? According to Catholicism, justification is a process in which God's grace is poured into the sinner's heart, making that person progressively more righteous. Is that what the Bible says? No, you get saved right at the moment of salvation. What? All your rottenness. We've talked about this before. God's accounting, if you will. It's accredited as righteousness. Accredited. It's a accounting term. And, and all of our rottenness is placed on the cross of Christ. All his righteousness is put on our ledger. <laughs> right? But that's what? That's 100%. All done. Bang. The moment you got saved. Praise God. There's no progressive thing. It's all done complete, right? But that's what they say. No, it's progressive, right? During this process, they say it's the sinner's responsibility to what? Preserve, that means keep, and increase that grace by various good works is your blank there. It's a works-based salvation. This is not Christianity at all, right? And again, they get up there, and now for the Christian perspective, and who they show? The guy with the collar. It's like, why don't you just put a Mormon up there, a Jehovah's Witness? Because it's not Christianity, you know? Uh, The means by which justification is initially obtained, again, is not faith, but the sacrament of baptism. That's how they, if you will, kickstart you. Furthermore, justification is forfeited when the believer commits a what? Mortal sin, such as hatred or adultery, or as we saw in the list, uh, could even be lying. In the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, then works are necessary both to begin and what? Continue. Who completes the work that he began in us? Jesus Christ. The Bible's very clear about that. It's not up to you. Praise God. I've said this I don't know how many times before. If our salvation was based upon our works, and I'm talking 0.00001, how many of us would ever get to heaven? 
None. We'd all burn and go straight to hell. Because we can't. We're not. We still have to deal with that old booger of sin nature. We can't do it. Plus, what's the crux of what's going on here? Why then is the logical question that Jesus died on the cross? And if all that was for me to get dunked and somebody go, to get it started and the rest was up to me, why did he die? You are denying the actual cross and the atonement of Jesus Christ. How is that at all like Christianity? Not even close. That is such a works-based salvation. You're crazy. And yet, when you talk about this stuff, I've already started to get some flack online for the study. Oh, you mean to tell me that Roman Catholics aren't Christians? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you look at it yourself. And it's not me, it's the Scripture. My authority is not in myself. My authority is I make appeal to this right here. And if it doesn't say it in here, yes, it is wrong. Your problem isn't with me. Oh, you could take it out on me. But your problem is with this book that came from God. And guess what? You'll never win. Because God's word never changes, right? To your own detriment, I wouldn't uh, recommend you doing that. But anyway, so in the teaching of the Catholic Church, works are necessary both to begin and continue the process of justification. The entire system of sacraments is a genuine rejection, underline that, rejection of the true grace of God and salvation by grace. Salvation in Roman Catholic theology is not by grace through faith, but a, listen, a complex and yeah, remember how complex it was before? Well, if this it happens on a Thursday, and if it's raining, and if a cat runs by, and if you did this particular sin, then you do this one 50 times of that, turn right, left, you don't go, you know, and get the water back on you, and you're good to go. It's like, why? I can't keep up with that. Right? And I, it is a, how do you know what? But see, that's what keeps you going back to the spiritual elite. I don't know, I, don't know, I guess I gotta go to the priest, he'll tell me what to do. It's like a form of slavery, it's like a religious Christian slavery. That's leading people to hell. It's crazy, right? But it's a complex adherence to what? Sacraments and rituals as legislated by who? The church hierarchy. It is a fake, false, pseudo-Christian cult. Next page. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that grace is granted through the sacrament of baptism. This so-called sanctifying grace, it's a gift, they say, of the Holy Spirit, but can be what? What's the word there? Lost. Can you lose your salvation? No, what sin can't Jesus forgive? He forgives them all, right? And then they'll say, well, what about the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? He said that's one sin that can't be forgiven. Well, yeah, guess what? We can't commit that today, can we? Because what is the context of that statement when Jesus is making that? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when Jesus was physically present on the earth and he was doing miracles and the people came up to him and accused him of doing those miracles physically to his face on earth and said, you're doing that in the power of Satan. First of all, would any born-again Christian do that? No, so it's called a straw man argument. Number two, is Jesus physically right now in front of us performing miracles so that we could even possibly even make that statement which we wouldn't do in the first place? No, so in other words, you can't commit that sin. It's, he's not here. Now, I will give you this. Maybe the millennial kingdom, some of the people in the millennial kingdom, when he's back on the planet, maybe that could come into play, but certainly not today. But certainly not a born-again Christian. And even us who get to be a part of the millennial kingdom as the church, are we going to have a sin nature in the millennial kingdom to even do anything like that? No. So we'll, we'll never do that. Ever. So again, Christ forgives all sins. Okay, But that's what they say. It can be, it can be lost through serious conscience and deliberate sin. It can then be regained through what? Penance. Works. 
the religious things they prescribe to do. There's also, they say, actual grace, which is temporary supernatural assistance to perform these good works that are necessary for what? Salvation, right? uh, And the sacraments are, of course, baptism, penance, the Eucharist, their version of communion, confirmation, matrimony, holy orders, and the anointing of the sick. And they believe are the primary means by which God provides sanctifying and actual grace grace. Uh, This enables the Catholic to do good works which are rewarded, is your blank there, rewarded with heaven after final purification and purgatory. Wow, you still don't get there. You can work your tail off and you're still not going to get there. You're going to end up in this mythical place that the Bible doesn't even support that they call purgatory, which means what? Purgatory, holding place, pen, purge, purge. You purge off your own sins in this mythical, horrifying, burning, rotten place. So by your own pain and torment, you get to atone for your sins. After you do all this other religious stuff they say to do, and uh, you're still not going to make it, so who knows how long you're going to be in there. Oh, but by the way, after you're dead, your family members, if they really loved you, they could offer big bucks to the Catholic Church to say prayers to shave off some time while you're in this place. What a racket. Folks, I'm just telling you what they believe. I'm just stringing it all together. But when you string it all together, you're going like, it is kind of comical, isn't it? It's like, are you serious? Yeah. And then again, let me go back, now that we set the stage for that, and now for the Christian perspective. Don't you wish you had one of those hooks? Get a real Christian up there. It's crazy. Now you think, oh, come on. They don't really believe this. Again, let's break it down. Quotes from their own catechism. What's the catechism? What they supply, not Protestants, what they supply as the official workbook, if you will, of their belief system. Right? Infants receive grace through the sacrament of baptism. What? And adult converts also receive grace through the sacrament of baptism after proper preparation. Here's quotes, uh, the Catechism 977 and 2020. A baptism is the first and chief sacrament of forgiveness of what? Sins. Direct quote, folks. This is not make-believe. This is what they teach. Because it unites, they say, with Christ, who died for our sins, rose for our justification, so that we too might walk in newness of life. Well, that's right, but they say the way you get there is by being baptized, and preferably as a child. What? Number two, justification, they say, has been merited for us by the passion of Christ, but it's granted to us through what? Baptism. So baptism is what? I don't think so. And so obviously Catholic justification means this, spiritual rebirth and the lifelong process of sanctification, which begins at the point of the sacrament of baptism. So basically they believe that the sacrament of baptism, again, preferably as a child, even though the child doesn't know what he's doing, is probably freaking out over there anyway. And then again, the rest is up to you. And if you blow it according to our list, boy, do we got some things to prescribe. Oh, by the way, even after you do that, you're probably still not going to make it there anyway, and you got to go burn, and hopefully your loved ones will give us some money and shave off some time. Coming from their own stuff. Sacraments, number two, are, and good works increase grace is your blank there. What? So s- doing their sacraments, all those things they say, baptism, penance, Eucharist, confirmation, matrimony, holy orders, and the only to the sick, and your own good works, that's how we get God's grace? Do you, and does anybody know what grace means? Unmerited favor. So basically what you're saying is <laughs> we have to work for God's unmerited or working favor. Who? Huh? Exactly, Joey. It's an oxymoron. Grace means the very opposite of what you're saying. 
Grace means you can't work for it. It's unmerited. You cannot earn God's grace. That's what the word grace means. And yet you say you got to work for grace to get this grace. It's, it's completely opposite of what the word itself means. And, and the cooperation with the grace preserves grace in the soul. So here, and here's the proof text. Uh, uh, page 1821, the catechism. We can therefore hope in the glory of heaven promised by God uh, to those who love him and who do his will. In every circumstance, each one of us should hope with the grace of God to persevere to the end and to obtain the joy of heaven. How? As God's eternal reward for the good works accomplished with the grace of Christ. So how do you get to heaven according to them? Your own works, your own good works. Crazy, folks. Moved by the Holy Spirit, another one they say, and by charity, we can merit ourselves and for others the graces needed for our sanctification. Grace means unmerited favor. So you can't work for it. But they say the exact opposite. You work for what you can't work for. Okay, that's a little messed up. Number three, grace is lost, they say, through mortal sin and can be regained through, again, what? A work. Sacrament of penance, the things they prescribe. Christ, again, this is quoting them. Christ instituted the sacrament of penance for all sinful members of the church, above all those since baptism, uh, who have fallen into grave sin and thus lost their baptismal grace and wounded ecclesial communion is to them that the sacrament of penance offers a new possibility to convert and what? Recover the grace of justification. So if you blow it according to them and lose it, which you can't lose it in the first place, the Bible says, because it's all on Christ, praise God for that, amen, okay, then you got to do what they say to do to get it back. This is no different than what you'll find uh, sometimes even in uh, so-called Protestant circles, people that say that you can lose your salvation. They wouldn't claim to be Catholics, but they're basically saying the same thing. And you know what they do? They may not have the same, quote, penance as the Catholic Church does, but they have their list. Other thing, oh, oh, what, you went bowling? You're doomed to hell! Ah! So you better come here and start stacking chairs for the next 50 years. You stack chairs for 50 years. I think God lets you slide on that, brother. You better come down here at the altar. Hey, folks, I'm telling you, this church is like that, right? And it, it's crazy. I mean, I had some guys that uh, I served at a different pastor, and uh, they were fellow elders uh, with me, and they came out of uh, what was called Free Will Baptist. And free will Baptist, basically, you lose your salvation. And they said it was a horrible existence growing up like that. They said it's because you, you, you couldn't even be saved for a day. He said it was horrible. He said we're, every Sunday we we're going up the altar. He says, but it was horrible. You'd feel good because you'd cry and you repent and do all the things they say that you're supposed to do. And then, okay, whew, I feel clean. I feel good, you know, because I did my thing and, and what they told me I had to do to get my salvation back and whatever. He says, but by that afternoon, I, I knew I blew it again but I had to wait till next Sunday to go to the altar. It was horrible. And they dealt with this year after year, and they finally came to knowledge of grace in Christ and Christ alone. And you talk about some of the big proponents of people that we can smell works a mile away. And they would say it's a horrid, horrid existence. Uh, one of the biggest problems with, uh, that's going on in Mormonism, also Jehovah's Witnesses, is suicides. And I really think that part of the reason why it's suicide is because, again, like Catholicism, there is no assurance of salvation. You don't know. You're so busy doing good works. Well, what if you get there? It's, you did 100,000. Somehow you calculate all. What if you get there? It's 100,001. Oh, rats. Right? You never have any assurance that how do you know, how do you know what's enough? Well, first of all, there isn't enough because holy means without sin. We can't, none of us can do that. Oh, you could try to clean things up after you acknowledge it, but you're still doomed because you'll never be perfect. That's why when you come to Christ, the scripture says you have 
peace with God. It's all done. It's all taken care of. But when you go back to this works-based thing, it's horrible. People just, they, like, oh, it's a torment. It's a torment. And this is a pseudo-Christian torment system that is also leading people to hell. But what a hellish existence, if I might use that term, before you even get to hell. Because you have no assurance, no peace. You're always wondering. And again, even when you get around to doing good things, are we called to do good things? Yes. But you're not doing it with the same motive we have. Why do we do what we do? Because Pastor Billy said so. No, I hope that's not what it is. It's because who wouldn't want to serve Jesus? After a complete, full salvation, it's all complete and clear. I got peace with God. I'm fully justified. I'm fully forgiven once and for all. He loves me. That's where my worth and value come from. It can never be taken away. Nobody can snatch me from his hand. Woo-hoo! Hey, can I wash your car, Jesus? All right, shine your shoes. Anything you want? As Paul says, Christ's love compels us. You don't have that in these systems. You're worried to death. And then you're even told in this system, you're most likely not even going to make it anyway. You're still going to have to suffer in this mythical place. But don't forget, giving that cash to your family. What a horrible, horrible existence. What, listen, why would we ever link hands with somebody who's promoting that? Oh, you're being intolerant. No, I'm rescuing people from something that's leading them to hell. And even before they would get there, apart from Christ, hopefully get saved before, this system, what a rotten existence. The freedom that we have in Christ, oh, wow. We need to love enough to speak up and tell them the truth. There's a better way. There's only one way, and that way is awesome. It's Jesus. Try him, right? You'd be rescued from all this stuff, right? Let's continue on as he goes on. And it says, you can be lost, they say. You can recover it, they say. Okay, uh, the fathers of the church present this sacrament, they say, as the second plank of salvation after the shipwreck is loss of grace. Again, they say you can lose it, but you can gain it back by your own work system. Number, uh, the next one. One who desires to obtain reconciliation with God and with the church must confess to who? A priest. And all the unconfessed grave sins, there's your category again, he remembers after having carefully examined his conscience. How many guys even remembered what happened at 7.53 this morning? I don't. As cool as that moment probably was. I have no clue. That's just one day. You sit there, all the unconfessed... This again, this is how you get back into reconciliation with God in the church. You have to not only go to a guy, but you have to have the pressure of remembering all things you did. It's impossible. We, we, there's no way. And again, once, I don't even know. My, my heart's wicked. My heart's so wicked that even if I didn't know it, it probably wouldn't tell me. So, so I'm doomed. Because nobody can remember them all. Aren't you glad that Christ forgives them all? And I say this all the time, even the ones I don't even know about. But you know logically it's going to happen. Nobody's condoning it. Right? Well, that's, you're just giving people a license to sin. Excuse me, before I got saved, I didn't need a license. <laughs> Nobody needs a license to sin. You don't take a class, you don't go to the DMV. Right? We just sin because of the sin nature. So that's a, this is a, a misnomer. Right? He forgives us of everything. And again, it's back to, and when we're honest with ourselves, I really think that people who believe that you can lose your salvation, 
Because, have you noticed? It's never them. It's that guy. Bobby. <laughs> All right, because I've been watching you, and I've got my list here, and boy, you have messed up on at least a good five of them since 753. Right? But it's never them, is it? Right? And they're always looking down on that person. It's spiritual pride. Oh, it's not the bishops. It's certainly not the Pope, because he never gets nothing wrong. <laughs> it's you people down there who must do everything that we say in the right order. <laughs> oh, and give us some cash while you're at it. Pride, spiritual pride. Oh, by the way, the last time I checked, spiritual pride is a sin. It's a horrible existence, right? Praise God, Christ forgives them all. Because you'll never remember them all. By Christ's will, they say, the church possesses the power to what? Forgive the sins? Do we as a church have the power to forgive sins? Do I have the power? Does the deacons have the power? Anybody? What? Who forgives sins? Jesus and him alone. And so you just you said you have the church, you have the power to forgive sins of the who. That's right, you got me baptized. Can't forget that one, Tom. And exercise it through who? Then you'll delegate that through the bishops and the priests, uh, normally in the sacrament of penance. What's that mean? Through the things we prescribe for you to do. All right, you say 50 Hail Marys, you do this and that, whatever, and you start second chairs. <laughs> it's like, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, next one eternal life is obtained uh, by dying in a state of grace. Well, that's true because when you first truly get born again, guess what you're placed in? It's a wonderful phrase in the scripture. Do a study on this one. In Christ. You're placed in Christ. So if I'm placed in Christ, who is holy and perfect forever and has never ever committed sin, right? Um, how could I not be in a state of grace? Especially when Jesus said, nobody can take me out of the Father's hand. Which includes myself, by the way. Uh, so, so I'm in a state of grace. But that's not what they mean by this, right? All who die, they say, in God's grace and friendship, um, uh, or, or eternal life is attained by dying in the state of grace. If one has not attained to the state of holiness required to enter directly into heaven, well, wait a second. You can't. It's only through Christ. But they say, if you don't do it, right, then they go to where? Purgatory to make atonement, is the blank there. To make atonement for sins that was... Uh, not made on earth. In other words, you didn't do it. You blew it, according to our system, right? And so you didn't uh, uh, do enough penance back on earth, so now you're going to have to finish the job yourself, make your atonement in this place called purgatory. Uh, now, this sounds graphic, but I've used this in some instances to try to shake people into it. Can, can I tell you what this is basically saying? All right? You might as well just crawl up that cross there and you might as well slap Jesus in the face and say, you know what? You didn't finish the job. I have to finish it for you. That even hurts, even given that as an analogy. But isn't that what they're saying? What he did was not good enough. I have to finish. Oh, and... and I can't even do it on earth. I have to finish it in some mythical place. You got to be kidding me. And yet, oh, they're Christians like us. Let's all work together. You got to be kidding me. All who die in God's grace and friendship 
uh, they say, but perfectly, uh, but still imperfectly purified. Well, wait a second. Who purifies this completely? Christ. Okay. But are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after that, they undergo the purification so as to what? Achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of salvation. Now, what we're going to see, Lord willing, uh, next time, uh, in contrast to Roman Catholic salvation of works, the Bible teaches clearly that salvation is by grace, unmerited favor, that's what the word means, through faith alone. That's your next blank there, through faith, faith is the blank, alone. Salvation is the work of God completely, uh, uh, whereby he saves the individuals from the penalty, uh, the penalty, the power, and one day the very presence of sin. It is completely by God, not on the basis of of merits or works. I don't want to blow through this next section, so we'll have to pick up on that next time. But just to give you a little tidbit of how many times they get it wrong, you tell me if works come in here at any play, you tell me the cross of Christ is not sufficient, you tell me if it's not secured completely, 100%, absolutely forgiven in him. Let me just close with a couple uh, verses. John 5, 24, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. John 6, 37 all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me i will never drive away john 10 28 i give them eternal life and they shall never perish no one shall snatch them out of my hand romans chapter 8 35 38 through 39 who shall separate us from the love of christ shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword i am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.8. He, God, will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.21-22. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. He put his seal in our hearts as a deposit. Listen, guaranteeing what is to come. Ephesians 1.14. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us everything he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people, this is just one more reason to praise our glorious God. Philippians 1, 6. Being confident of this, he, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it out to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 14. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Hebrews 9, 12. He, Jesus, did not enter by means of the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.15, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance. 1 Peter 1.3-4, He has given us new birth into a living hope, into an inheritance, listen, that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. It's kept in heaven for you. And John says, 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of god that you may know not wonder not doubt have to work your tail off either in this life or some mythical place that you may know right now that you have eternal life that's what the bible says for the christian that when you're saved it's all praise god on the shoulders of jesus christ as hebrew says now you can enter into god's rest It's not up to me anymore. And now, it's by grace, through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Now, God not only seals you with his spirit, 
guaranteeing you're getting to heaven. You belong to him now forever. Forever and forever. You're going to get there. But he also gives you the spirit because he wants you to do certain things in his name to lead souls to him. Not because we're trying to earn it. That's all been taken care of. That's why Paul says again, now why do we do what we do as Christians? Why do we not do what we do as Christians? Why do we take a stand on issues as Christians? Because I am personally so stinking thankful that I'm not going to hell. Because I know I deserve to go straight to hell and burn forever. Not just because of the sins before I got saved, even the sins after I got saved. And I'm so thankful that it is absolutely complete that he considers me, as he says in his word, spotless, blameless, holy. That's what the word saint means, a holy one, pure, and it's guaranteed nobody, nothing, not even myself, can take it away. That's why the gospel is called the good news. Nobody has a brighter future than the Christian. Nobody has a more secure future than the Christian. Nobody has better news to share with people in a rotten world full of man-made religious religion than us. And that's what he wants us to do. But he wants us to do it in full knowledge. It's, I'm not asking you to do this to earn something because I gave you something that I've labeled as a gift. You don't earn a gift. Take the gift. Understand the gift. It's complete. It's full. Now I want to use you to do these works so that other people... Here's the concept. Did you know that God's want other people in heaven besides us? <laughs> yeah. And as Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, but how are they going to know unless somebody tells them? Works-based salvation gets the cart before the horse. Yes, we're called to do good works. And they take those passages out of context and they put them primary. You got it exactly backwards. Yes, we're called to do good works. But it's not because of salvation we're trying to earn or keep. Or keep from losing. It's because that's all complete. And now I do it because I want to. Because I love him. And I'm so thankful. That's the freedom that we have in Christ. And you don't get that with this cult called Roman Catholicism. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy 
God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. 
And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.